0: Ads, schmads. If you don't want ads, that's okay. Choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And hey, presto, no ads.
1: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.
2: You have to understand human nature.
0: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
2: What's the crack there? It is time for the podcast. It's time to talk about libertarianism, John. It's time to talk about the second in our series on the Javier Millet interview. Right, still resonating, big time. The speech, the speech time. at Davos. And what yeah. really intrigued me was when I asked Eliza, who works with us, who is Gen Z, when I asked my kids, they said they were watching this. They were aware of this Malay interview or speech at Davos. Yeah. When I asked my generation, they had no idea, right? Nobody's like, who are you talk about, that Argentinian fellow, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of struck me that, you know, what we are looking at is a deep, deep generational divide in politics. And it's something we see evidently everywhere. And this week we're going to talk about young men, John. Right? We're talking talking about okay. young men in particular, right? <laughs> okay. And anyone's the, in
0: particular. Anyone's in any,
2: particular. Any right? we can name them. We can name them. No, but the, the the fact that and it's a fact that we are seeing a change in the way young men are voting and are leaning politically. Yeah. And a change in the way young men and young women are going. So young women, as a general rule, we're going to talk to John Byrne Murdoch of the FT, who's just written a very good piece on this. And it fits into the Malay idea. Who is attracted by libertarianism? Who is finding this message yep. appealing? Who is saying, actual fact, this is the way we should go? And what you see in all political polling is it's young men are finding a combination of anti-globalization, Libertarianism, anti-Western feeling, these are much more attractive to them. So it's against the global order.
0: Yeah. So what you're leaving it's because f- they've been let down so much by those they, systems. Yeah,
2: exactly. And they, they kind of feel that they've been left down. And so this is these are the people that Millet is talking to, but not just Millet, the you know, right wing here, mm. the right wing in the UK, the right wing in France and maybe right wing is not the proper description for what's going out.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know? that's what's becoming obvious to me. It's it's not a a right left issue anymore.
2: It's maybe an insider and outsider. Yeah, and maybe this comes back again, possibly to the discussion we had the other day on public servants. Mm. In that, what you seem to have when we were saying like, who runs the Irish economy? Where are the Points of difference, where the negotiation, who is speaking for whom. And there is a sense, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't actually matter. That, for example, the big public sector unions are very well represented inside the tent.
0: Yeah. Right? So yeah. they
2: go to the Work Relations Commission and they have big negotiations with the government and they're all kind of part of the same insider idea. Whereas the outsiders, are the people, outside the tent and those people can be young and old and urban or rural or men and women or you know they can be people who used to be left who used to be right but what they feel is that they are not being spoken to or spoken for in the way in which society makes its decisions yeah and what you're seeing now is young fellows are increasingly feeling quite but, alienated
0: but it's also that the election cycle every four or five years that For the the year of the election, you know, all politicians be out in the street knocking on doors and talking with the people and plumosing the people. And then once, this is what it feels like, once the politicians are elected and in government, then the people that elected them there are kind of forgotten about. And that's certainly what it feels (laughs) like. And certainly that's what these young men are feeling. So when you get to negotiations around the table and the Work Relations Committee, you know, they're not being represented at all.
2: Okay, so it comes back to... It's a very fascinating thing. There used to be an idea that every generation more or less thought the same. We're going to talk about that to John in a minute about this. But something very interesting happened in the Obama elections. So looking at America, we look at the data again. So Obama in 2008 gets an overwhelming majority of young people voting for him. Yeah. In 2012 he lost 5% of the young vote. Still got elected. Yeah. Okay, but he lost 5%. And Democratic pollsters were trying to figure out, why is this? Because Obama was this transformative, unifying figure. He was black. He was different. He was liberal. Basically, when they plugged in all this data into their models, they thought, we're going to get an overwhelming amount of young votes. Mm. They saw it falling. So people said, What happened between 2008 and 2012 that the vote 18 to 24 skewed away from Obama, not totally towards Mitt Romney, but sufficiently large movement of numbers that people said, OK, what happened? And what happens, it's got to do with a lot of political pollsters believe that what happens to you when you're between 18 and 20 forms your global political view and it's very, very hard to shake. So those events that happen at the late teens or early 20s, late teens, early this 20s. This is a general kind of rule. This a general sort of a rule okay. of what basically happens, how people see their worldview. Mm. So if you look at when you and I were young, when we were 18, Ireland was a conservative, religiously Catholic, dogmatic, unbelievably judgmental society. Yeah. So the default position of us when we were 18, when we were first voting, was to vote against the status quo. You say, I don't want that status quo, Mm. right? And the events that maybe shaped our lives were those events of the 1980s. So there would have been the violence in Northern Ireland, the IRA campaign, the British rule in Northern Ireland. There would have been unemployment. It would have been liberalism with a big capital L against the church of the 1970s, all that sort of stuff, right? And those positions that you take at 18 are very, very ingrained. So what the American pollsters saw was the positions that people take early doors, really shaped their political affiliation going forward. And then they were trying to figure out what was the difference between the 18-year-olds who maybe voted at 22 for Obama in 2008 and the 18-year-olds who voted at 22 in Obama in 2012. And what they saw was the people who voted in 2012 would have been 18 when the economy collapsed after 2008. So their worldview is formed when the economy collapses – but also and this is fascinating the smartphone is an invention of 2008 so this is the first generation that uses the smartphone
0: yeah, right yeah
2: the first generation that see their parents losing their jobs the first generation that see precarious employment as being the way in which they're treated right mm. the kids who voted for obama in 2008 came of age during the post dot com collapse boom in america yeah. so there was a massive boom in the america in the early 2000s. So you've got two very different types of people whose views are formed in very different types of America. And clearly then, so one crowd, the ones who voted in 2008, come in in a massively booming housing market. Unemployment's incredibly low. Incomes are high. They all vote for Obama. Mm. The kids who voted in 2012 are the children of the recession. And they're the children of the smartphone. And they're getting their information from other places and from different places. And they're beginning to form tribes online and they vote against the status quo.
0: So if you fast forward to now, then the 18-year-olds uh, to 24-year-olds... Are formed in the pandemic. Are f- exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. They're formed in the pandemic.
2: They're formed in an entirely different, much more precarious, much more unusual. Their Their views are formed in an unsettling time.
0: Yeah, but economically, though, I mean, we we went through the, we, and still going through inflationary times, but we do have full employment.
2: We do, but I'm just saying, is it's, it's trying to explain what is going on in the world in the last ten years. Mm. Yeah, to explain yeah, yeah. what yeah. John Byrne Murdoch is about to talk about, which is this split. So basically, if you take this idea that what you experience at 18 or 19 or 20 mm. is profoundly informative and determines where you stand politically, so those events impact generations differently. Yeah. But what's also happening is that amongst the Gen Zs, it's not just this one generation, there's two generations, it seems. One is Gen Z young women.
0: Yeah.
2: And one is Gen Z or Gen Z, please, let's say Z. <laughs> yes. Exactly, because Z, <laughs> Z, right? Young men, and they've split as well. And what you're seeing in the data is that young men are moving increasingly to the right And young women are moving increasingly to the left. It's really
0: curious, isn't it? Young
2: men are increasingly moving to what's traditionally regarded as conservative ideas and young women are moving traditionally to what we regard as liberal, progressive ideas. So let's talk to John Byrne Murdoch of the FT. He's written a really interesting piece on this. But in the back of our heads, John, let's think this is a massive election year. Yeah. These are first-time voters. They're voting very differently. They're responding very differently. And their vote will impact on the way in which policy is formed in the next 24 months, and that's critical. Now you know we've been doing this series, or we're intending to do this series, we started last week, on the reaction to Javier Millet's speech at Davos. Now, many of you are saying, Millet is the president of Argentina, it's far away, it's a small country, really, in relative terms, it's a poor country we know internationally. What significance does a speech by a firebrand president of a country far away have on general discourse? Well, it has quite a lot. And if you talk to a lot of Gen Zs and younger millennials, they were listening to this speech, which is why, as they say it, it blew up on the internet. John, we're still waiting to blow up on the internet. <laughs> any day now. Any day eh? now. Any day <laughs> we'll just blow up on Twitter. No, just I want to blow up on TikTok. That's what I want to do.
0: People, I'm waiting for people. <laughs>
2: I think you've missed that boat. But the point about Millet's speech is that it actually involves messages to a lot of people and typically now younger people, right? So it was against that background I was reading the FT and John Byrne Murdoch is now just going to get a little bit worried about his regularity as a, uh, a voice on the podcast. But as you know, John is one of the most interesting journalists writing about finance, economics, politics, data, all that at the moment. He wrote a fantastic piece at the weekend, which really Really sets up the discussion, not just about Malay, but about the way in which people are thinking about politics. He is on the line. John, how are you? You're looking very fresh on a Saturday morning. Well, thank you.
3: Yeah, it's great to be on again.
2: <laughs> now, listen, it's great. Look, you wrote this fascinating article. I'll just set it up. It's basically pointing out that all over the world, and it's quite interesting. We did this idea about who was in the far right in Ireland, and Kevin Cunningham was telling us that the far right in Ireland are increasingly likely to be young men. Now, you have written this fascinating piece about attitudes between young women and young men and how they're diverging politically. Young men are going right. Young women are going liberal. This is fascinating. Explain to me what's going on.
3: Yes. So th- this is a topic I've been wanting to dig into for ages. And the okay, some of the interesting context before we get into this is some of your listeners might have Read pieces, listened to pieces over the last couple of years, which have said things like Gen Z seem to be sort of surprisingly conservative, but at the same time we hear all this other stuff about you know Gen Z are super progressive and you know the most hyper progressive socially generation ever. So there's this weird thing of which of these things is it? We're hearing one, we're hearing the other, and what I did here was just took a load of data from the US, the UK, Germany some from Asian countries like Korea as well. And to my shame, I I couldn't find any Irish data, but I will look into that.
2: Um, Well, don't worry. Our our, our man, Kevin Cunningham, has set this up nicely. We'll talk about Ireland in two seconds. But I mean, again, Ireland is just... We'll try and find Irish data for for yourself. We'll feed it to you. But in general, we tend to, you know, we, we track what's going on in the rest of the world.
3: Yeah, but yes. So what I wanted to do was just say, all right, let's see what explains these sort of two competing stories about Gen Z's ideology. So what I've done is I've broken all this down by gender, by sex within young adults. So I'm taking people aged 18 to 29, which is basically Gen Z. There's a couple of, couple of young um, millennials in there as well. And we're just saying, all right, how do people view the world or how do people think about politics? So that is either people responding to questions that just ask, are you a liberal or a conservative? or it's looking at actual, the parties people vote for. So like in the UK, that's you've got sort of Labour and the Greens, you've got the Tories and, and the Brexit Party. In Germany, it's AFD versus the Greens. In Korea, you've got this quite clear divide between Conservatives and Progressive Liberals. And what we see is that up until about 10 years ago, there's very little difference between young men and young women. So if you're a 25-year-old American man or 25-year-old American woman in 2010, 2012, 2014, That doesn't really tell us who you're going to vote for, your gender. Like some vote Republican, some vote Democrat, conservative, liberal, but it's gender doesn't really tell us anything. Whereas when you get to the last few years, so the late 2010s and into the 2020s, you suddenly see this big gap and with men starting, starting more towards conservative ideology and parties Women turning significantly towards more liberal and progressive ideologies in parties. So, how that plays out in different that there are slight differences in different countries. So, in Korea, for example, you have a very sharp shift towards conservative politics among men and a shift towards progressivism among women. Whereas in a lot of other countries, it's, it's women making the shift to the left that is the dominant part of this. But however it breaks down, we see this big divide opening up from about 2017 18 through to the present day.
2: Which is, I think, unbelievably interesting. It's on, on, on a number of levels. And we'll talk about attitudes to immigration, race, all those issues in in a couple of minutes. But this idea, although it's significant in Korea from your data, it's also significant in the UK. It's also big numbers in America. You're talking, you know, 30% shifts in certain in certain areas the big figures in germany i know last time i was looking at france for example the way in which le pen is now garnering considerably more young men than in any other area we had a, we had a discussion here in ireland it is the case that the young men are dramatically more likely to vote and identify with the far right than the over 65 so these are big 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 changes so explain to me on a sort of a
3: granular level, what's going on in each country? Why do you think this is happening? Yeah, so there's a couple of interesting things here. So we've talked about these meaningful but quite fuzzy things like liberal and conservative. But what you can do is is ask about specific issues, specific topics in society. So in the US, there's a great survey called the Cooperative Election Study, where where they have about 60,000 people who get asked Loads of loads and loads of fascinating questions every two years. And one of the questions they ask is this sort of classic sexism question, which is they say, um, they give people the statement, women seek to gain power by getting control over men. And they say, do you agree with this or do you disagree with it? And you see two things. So first of all, you know, thankfully, most people, regardless of their their gender or age, don't agree with that statement. It's, it's a very sort of old school sexist trope but you then see something interesting which is that women kind of regardless of their age very very few women agree with this whereas men older men don't agree with this they you know that's that's nonsense younger men are much more likely about twice as likely as older men actually more than twice as likely to say yeah that rings true to me so it's this this sort of sexist beliefs which have to be rising year on year on year among men while of course not rising at all among women. So so that is a big part of it in America, and it's clearly about sexism and and, and those kind of views. That is very similar to what we see in Korea, where Korea, as, as a lot of your listeners will know, is has huge amounts of gender inequality. Korean women are incredibly highly educated, but still have much worse outcomes in the labor market, much lower incomes. The, the divided housework is extremely stark. So in Korea, this is again, all about sex and gender. So there's a the survey question in Korea is, and I, I, love, I love this question. So if they say, what women really want is a family and children, although they like to work too. And I, I love that little addition at the end because the reason that's really smart just to go on a, a slight tangent about survey methodology is- No, let's go on the tangent. Let's go on the tangent. So if it just said, what women really want is a family and children, you'd get a lot of conservatives who would read that and be like- oh, you know, but this would mark me out as a sexist. So I'm not going to say I agree with this. People are aware of what they're being asked. Whereas if you throw in that little olive branch of, although they do like to work as well, then, you know, women are still going to look at that and go like, come on, this is a load of nonsense. Whereas you're, you're, you're going to capture more of those people who think, oh, you know, sure, they like to work as well, but you know, they're mainly about family and kids. So it's, it sort of smokes out the old school sexist. Exactly. by Just the little, the little caveat. Exactly. So it's a great question. And what that finds is something very similar, which is that among older people in Korea, you get pretty much no difference between the sexes in terms of agreement or disagreement with that statement. Among people in their 40s, even some in their 30s, again, no difference between men and women responding to that. But then among young men and women, women in huge numbers throw that out. They say, you know, that's nonsense. That's not what we're about. Whereas men are much more likely to say, yeah, you know, actually that that rings true to you. So- similar to america it, it's it's pretty much all or, or a lot of it is about ideas around gender norms but then the interesting thing that we see in countries like germany and the uk and similar thing in poland as well is that while well, there's some of this is definitely about sexism and gender but it seems to have bled into broader sort of culture war or social cultural issues as well so the fascinating one in the uk is when you ask people Does immigration undermine Britain's cultural life? So a sort of race and ethnicity and immigration question. And you see, again, very similar responses to this question among men and women who are over 65, similar responses among people in their 40s, 30s. But when you get to the younger people, women are exceptionally unlikely to agree. Only about 2% of women say that immigration undermines the culture of Britain, but that's almost 20% of men. Wow, 20% of young men. Uh, yeah, like close to 20%. And and even more significantly is that over the last 10 years, women have become, young women have become more and more liberal on this, just like older women, older men. But young men have basically not budged in the last 10 years. So you've got this, this sort of conservative attitude among young men, which is not shifting as the rest of society liberalizes. Young men are just hardening, whether it's on Gender norms, whether it's on immigration, and it's you see very similar things in Germany. A huge split among young people on immigration. Poland is the same. So it's gender is a huge part of this, as in, as in attitudes to gender, but there, it seems to be spreading out, seeping out into other aspects of culture as well.
2: So, John, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you what you think this means prospectively for politics, for economics, for the workplace, for relations between men and women. You know all those areas. Why? Why now? So we've seen a shift the last, and we're talking about half a decade. So we're not not this is this is very, very new stuff. Why do you think this is happening?
3: So the leading theory for the why, or at least there's there's two parts. There's like a trigger, and then there are catalysts. So the leading theory for the trigger is the Me Too movement. So this really took off in 2017. And what happened there is you've got young women, and you know, all women, but especially young women. Suddenly two things happen. One is I think there is an ideological shift towards being more progressive, towards thinking, you know, this is a massive injustice, which has not been addressed for decades, arguably centuries. And we now feel... We might even go millennia on that one. Indeed, indeed. So women now feel incredibly strongly about this. So so it's a shift in ideology, but it's also be- becoming much more vocal, not just believing this, but saying this. And so that, I think, is just quite straightforwardly explains the shift among women. But I think what then happens about men is you get this thing called negative polarization, which is, as you become aware that this other group that you don't belong to really strongly believe this thing, you start to react against that. And you know, again, to be clear, this is we're not talking about all men or all women here. No. But on average, in, or in these pockets at least, some young men hear that and they think, I don't like this. I'm being shouted at. I'm being told that, you know, I'm bad, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, A, they they maybe get pushed to taking different positions on gender issues. But B, if you start thinking, and, you know, I don't like the term woke, but I'm just, I'm going to say that, I'm going to say that term in two sentences and then we can never say it again. So some of your young men will think, all right, these young women have become woke. You know, I don't like this. They've become very different. And therefore, I now am going to unconsciously start thinking about myself as taking the anti-woke position. So that, I think, could explain some of what we see around immigration, for example. It's, well, I know what those people think, and I know I'm not with those people. And so people just start taking an opposing view. So that, I think, the Me Too and the negative polarization is sort of the proximate cause of this. Then what has happened since then or at least over this similar time period is on the internet online we have this increasing sort of separation of the spaces that young men and young women occupy so that means yeah. both in terms of the specific websites and apps that people are using but also on those apps and websites the algorithms send you towards things that you like so you end up with a situation where young women are going on tiktok and seeing a lot of stuff which is of, already of interest to them and speaks to the things that they care about. And young men go on these platforms and see their own stuff. Again, it's not complete polarisation, but there's less and less and less overlap. So you've got the, the me too and the negative polarisation sort of starting this off. And then that just builds and builds and builds in these online echo chambers. And of course, you know, even in, even in the physical world, now that things like dating is all done online, and, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and,
2: and, and hanging out in bars together and all that. Sort exactly, of that. I mean I, exactly. I, saw, I saw something bizarre, which for John and I as two committed centrists, dads seems bizarre, which is the proportion of people in the United States who meet online, as opposed to in bars or through their mates or in college or in school. Online is the vast, vast, vast majority now. I mean, the idea of chatting somebody up in a bar old school is apparently, you know, amongst younger people is is not happening. And again, that was
0: hard enough as well.
2: It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> John would have his best lines. So his best, like, he'd be written down in a little piece of paper. So I've got to go to Jack's now. Come back at his best lines.
0: John, John, can I just ask you a question? I, it, something else occurred to me there as you were talking. What role do you think education in general has played? Because I know that over the last few years, maybe 10, 15 years, Women seem to be doing much better in education. Yeah, they are doing much better. And and is that is that playing into this as well, where men kind of feel more threatened by more educated women, as it were?
3: Yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. So looking at and um, I just happen to have this in front of me. The figures for the UK in terms of the percentage of young people who go to university now in the UK, it's about forty percent of men and more than fifty percent of women. So we're getting towards a stage where educated young women outnumber men by it's sort of five to four going towards six to four. And that is very significant because there's two things, right? University, first of all, is where a huge number of people meet their other half. If, you yeah. know, if they're not meeting online, that's where it's happening. So you're, you're getting therefore a lot more women who are exasperated by the fact that they can't find a good man, someone who, you know, has similar ways of thinking about the world and attitudes to them. And you've also got this growing portion of men who suddenly realize women aren't interested. In so I think in a, in a sort of mechanistic sense, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And then in addition to that, it, of course, means that the just the way people think about the world is different because you've got this cohort of Cosmopolitan-educated women who think about things in a certain way and have different experiences, and then the a, a larger group of men who just don't have that. And, and yeah. so, yeah, I, I absolutely think that's a big a big thing because, again, that is a shift that, that didn't used to be the case or it used to be men who were more likely to go to university. And in the last couple of decades, that's flipped. So I think that is, it's a sort of supply and demand thing, right? So the demand, again, was sort of triggered by Me Too and the fallout from that. And it met this supply of more educated women and less educated men. And, and as, as always, I caveat that by not, this does not mean women are intelligent and men aren't, but... The, edu- the process of going to university changes how one thinks about the world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's absolutely a huge part uh, of this. And,
2: and th- then does this all explain something we see in the zeitgeist, you know, that this sort of Jordan Peterson selling out, you know, 7,000, 10,000 young fellas go to see him in, in Dublin. The sort, of the, the, the sort of Andrew Tate, all this sort of really macho sort of male ideas, all the porn they're watching, all these things have to change, have to be changing younger men's perception of the world.
3: Absolutely. And, and I think it's really interesting saying that just after we talked about the education thing, because a common response to this will be to say, oh, you know, men just need to think about this. Men should do, think about like do X, Y, and Z. But I think that is often being said by well-educated liberals, assuming yes. that the men they're speaking to are like that. But that's, that's completely wrong. Like, the men who are on the wrong side of this this divergence have not been to university have been probably probably grown up with backgrounds and again i don't mean to generalize but i'm more likely to have grown up with backgrounds where the the idea of of being a man is to be you know the breadwinner maybe maybe even still to do some physical labor and and that kind of stuff and so to the extent that men need better role models here and need to be shown a a way of, of being in this new world which which i think is completely true we need to be aware of the types of people we're talking about here. This is, this is not that, you know, just focus on sort of reading like fascinating hardback books to your kids. That's not the demographic we're talking to it. So, so yeah, I, I think that's why it's the Andrew Tate's and Jordan Peterson's who particularly appeal to this group, because this group already have different ideologies, different ways of looking to look and thinking about the world to you and I, for example.
2: So let's conclude by looking at the, I mean, we're talking, this is a massive election year all over the world. Uh, I think the UK is probably the end of this year, beginning of next year. We're probably sometime next year. We know the United States is this year. We know Russia is this year. India, right? We There's a whole host. We've got France. We've got the European elections, huge bellwether in June for all of Europe. How does this, and let's reiterate what we're talking about. We're talking about a very new, very dramatic development where young men are skewing conservative, and young women are skewing liberal at a time where previously all generations kind of moved in the same way. So now we don't even have one generation of Gen Z. We have two generations. We have Gen Z women and Gen Z men. How does this play out in the big stage that is politics and elections this year?
3: I mean, the thing is, we only have to look at the other elections that have already been happening. So this, is, this really does play out in terms of young men swinging towards the more conservative parties and young women in the other direction. Of course, the problem that creates is that politics itself risks becoming more gender. You risk becoming even more about the strongman model, for example. or And, and again, strongman doesn't need to be a, a man. We, we've got people like Marine Le Pen. And of course, on, on the opposite side, it, you risk sort of liberal and progressive politics becoming gendered as well, at bringing more sort of gender-based discussions and, and conversations into that kind of politics, which will only only exacerbate this divergence. So, so yeah, I, I think I would expect it's, it's very likely that we'll continue to see this pattern among young voters in elections this year. And, and as I say, the worry is that if politicians become aware of that and lean into it, it's certainly going to get worse.
2: Well that's true and if you, if you see for example the feminization of liberalism as a general rule and the masculinization of the conservatives that's going to absolutely exacerbate not only the perception but the reality of what we're talking about.
3: Absolutely and and the problem of course with this playing out in actual party politics you know when people describing themselves as a liberal or conservative is one thing but when it gets to party politics it it really bleeds much more tangibly into the real world because then you know people talk about politics, people talk about the whether they like or dislike a certain a certain politician, and and it, it's a way of making this all of this overt. And if you know people go on rallies and that kind of thing, so when this comes into the actual sort of physical politics space, you know it, again it's it's every step of this is making it more real, making it more physical, making it more tangible. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a huge worry. And the more elections that happen, almost the worse it gets.
2: John Byrne Murdoch, as always, that was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And I think probably one of the big issues, because if you think of all politics, it's going to be, it's always very tight in, in democracies. You know, it's, it's, it's the bounce of the ball in many ways. It's a couple percentage here, there. And I think you've identified a certain factor, which I'm not sure many people have really caught up on just yet. And we certainly saw that in Ireland with the uh, with the riots in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. And people were saying, well, look, who is this? Who is this? And then you go online and then you realize, as you say, it is a preponderance of young men and uh, and they are swinging exactly the way you, you've articulated. So as always, John, a complete pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
0: So it kind of feels like it's almost like a new battle of the sexes in many ways. You know, is John kind of implying, he wasn't saying it, but is he implying that we better off for us kind of liberal types to have more women leaders?
2: For you, liberal types. <laughs> Don't you include me in your in your St Patrick's parade of liberalism? No, I look what he said, yeah, maybe he is. women are more empathetic, definitely. There's no doubt, but what it's saying is that there are changes afoot in society that are very, very deep and they are impacting on young men much more because their worldview hasn't been formed just yet. Mm. So as I said, their worldview is being formed and it's being formed by a variety of things. One of which is the internet. The other one of which is life is precarious for them. Yeah. That if you used to be the breadwinner and you used to be the top dog and you used to get a job and you're a tradesman, you went down, you got an apprenticeship, you brought money home, you know, all that world is changing completely. And again, the problem was when you go from manufacturing, right, to services Mm a lot of the jobs are what David Graeber said in his great book called Shit Jobs.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. They are
2: jobs that yeah. are, what really he called them, bullshit jobs. And his idea was that, you know, there's a lot of people doing jobs that they feel, is this it? And they're very low paid. They're very low productivity. Mm. There's no real way out. What they're doing is they're going online. They're getting animated by combination of porn and, and, and kind of macho guys like your man Tate. All that sort of stuff is yeah. going on there. So there's there's Economic and demographic reasons for them, but it does mean that, for example, liberalism will be determined by the votes of young women, and that's quite interesting. So, parties of the centre or certain centre-left or liberal liberal left should be focusing increasingly on young women because they're the ones who are going to actually deliver the vote, and that's quite interesting too. Yeah,
0: well, the whole it, it feels like the whole structure of society is changing fundamentally you know and i'm not saying that it's it's more woke or you know it's better to be woke or not but there is that kind of fine line that needs to be tread where you know everyone moves together to create a
2: yeah but i that's true but i mean i'm not sure that's the way societies work i mean i think societies tend to work eventually we get to move together but there's lots and lots of 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 divisions if you think for i go back to when you and i were kids we voted liberal because we felt the status quo was conservative. We voted liberal because we felt the status quo didn't speak to us. We voted liberal because we went on RTE and there was some priest banging on about yep. you yeah, know yeah. sex before marriage or whatever yep. it happens to be or not smoking weed or whatever, the, whatever their thing was, right? And so we voted for, oh, well, let's vote against that. If you're a young fella and you feel a little bit dislocated and you see that the consensus is marriage equality, it's LGBT rights, it's trans rights, all these things that you see are the status quo. And you say, well, that's not necessarily me. So I'm going over here mm. where these other guys are, because that speaks more to what I think is my world. You put all those things into the mix and think what drops out, John, is the fact that young men in Ireland, we, 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 we spoke about this you know, we spoke about the the right wing in Ireland being much more likely to be young men between eighteen and thirty, yeah. and much much less likely to be older people. And when you would have thought in the old days that had you said Ireland would become multi ethnic, multi racial, different colours, you would have said the people who are going to react against that were the people of our age who were brought up in a white Ireland. But well, we haven't. Yeah, we go with the flow. Whereas the people who who, who react against this are, are, are the younger younger blokes in general, which is. What we're seeing, and it's fascinating for me that they can actually flip from A to B so quickly, and I think it's got huge, huge, huge
0: implications for politics. So, what kind of impact or implications does that have for politics and for the economy? Well, let's think. I talked to you at the top.
2: You know, Obama lost five percent of the youth vote because their formative years were different to the people who had voted four years prior to that. Mm. What happens is if A constituency emerges that is obviously an anti-liberal, anti-establishment, anti-elite, what they call it. Mm. Then that will be reflected in the votes. I would say the thing to watch, John, is the European election this year. Because the European election is regarded as a sort of a dry run or a kind of a test run for the real thing. And all sorts of unusual creatures get to the very top. As we now know, Ireland's representation at the European Parliament is bizarre. and yes. It is, not, it is yeah. not in any way reflective of the mainstream society yeah, it's true. at all. I mean, these are very, very extreme views, right? I think what you're going to find is that on the left that we have, is going to swing to the right. And we will have some very, very radical people in the European Parliament. And they will be voted in by some radical young men. Yeah. And those radical young men, at the moment, what the Conservative liberal establishment is hoping is that those young men will not come out to vote, that they will remain on the internet. They will remain in polls as a force, but they couldn't be arsed, right? That's what they're hoping. But if you're on the illiberal wing, this is a new base. And you know the way Donald Trump has his base. Yeah. And it's getting the base out and the base is important. This could be a new base and really new base. And this could be transformative for the next 10 years in politics. Definitely. And if you go back to the idea that if you form your views at 18, they don't change, this isn't going away. Mm. That's the key thing.
0: Got this podcast gone a little little left. (laughs) On on Tuesday, we were a little right.
2: (laughs) John, we could have been a little right on Tuesday, a little left this time. But, you know, let us quote, let us just quote Oscar Wilde, the great Oscar Wilde, and what he said about consistency. Said, I can't believe you're flopping, you're flim-flamming on this. Yeah. He said, consistency is the last refuge of the unimaginative. So let us leave it there. Those people who are constant and in their views yeah. are unable to take on board different things. So they default to consistency. And as Wilde says, that position, it's only for those who are unimaginative. We'll talk to you next week.